All right, let's look here in Revelation 20 this morning. I sure am glad. I will say this. I am glad I'm saved. I feel like I say that every time I get up to preach, but it's true every time I preach. I, I'm thankful that the Lord saved my soul. And, uh, boy, it seems like the longer I'm saved, which has not been very long. I'm a very young man, but at least I think I'm a young man. But, uh, boy, it seems like the farther I go and the more I read my Bible and the better I get to know the Lord, the more appreciative I am of the Lord saving my soul. I really am. The, the more I read my Bible and God shows me things about different things, I'm glad. I, I really am glad that Jesus offered himself a sacrifice for my sins. And so this morning we're going to look in Revelation chapter 20. I kind of I have a, a burden on my heart this morning, so I'd ask if, if at all possible for you to be as still as you possibly can. And if you're saved in here, I ask that you pray for folks that might be in here this morning that is lost. Pray God to make it real to them, all right? So look here in Revelation chapter 20. We're going to read the whole chapter. I, I take a risk of uh, losing people's attention when I read the whole chapter, but there's a lot of stuff in here. I'm just going to preach out of the latter part of the chapter, but I think it'd be good to read the whole chapter. So look with me in Revelation 20 and hang with me, all right? And I saw an angel come down from heaven having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand, and he laid a hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil and Satan, he wanted you to be sure about who he was talking about. And bound him a thousand years and cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal upon him that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years should be fulfilled and after that he must be loosed a little season. Now, I'm not sure how familiar you are with things that are going to take place in the future. We call that Bible prophecy. But where you're at right now is... The second advent of the Lord Jesus Christ has taken place, and we talked about it in Sunday school this morning. Uh, the, the stone that's cut out without hands out of, out of a mountain, it comes down and smites Nebuchadnezzar's, <coughs> excuse me, his image on the feet. And basically what all that means, if you haven't been with us in Sunday school, what all that means is God, uh, Jesus Christ absolutely demolishes the governments of this world. That's what it means. Revelation chapter 19 is where that actual process is described. And when all of that takes place, when the Lord comes, one of the things that the Lord does is he takes the devil, the tempter, the deceiver, and he binds him up with a chain and throws him into the bottomless pit and locks him up during the Lord's entire reign, which lasts for a thousand years. It's a long time. And the Lord is going to rule and reign in righteousness for a very long time. And then after that, the devil's going to be loosed. That's what you just read. He's going to be loosed. And so look here in verse 4. And he said, I saw thrones, and they sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded uh, for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God, and which had not worshipped the beast, nor neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. But the rest of the dead lived not again, until the thousand years were finished, this is the first resurrection. So when he says this is the first resurrection, what he's talking about is the resurrection that takes place in verse 4. Now, there are a lot of people. Let me just give you a little bit of doctrine this morning. This might be a little bit dry to you, but this is important for you to understand what's going on in Revelation 20. Uh, there are people that believe in what's called a general resurrection, and that what, what that means is that they believe at the end of time, the Lord is going to bring up everybody, everybody, uh, lost people, saved people, everybody. He's going to bring them all up, and they're going to appear 
at what's called a general resurrection. But what you just read there in verse 4 and verse 5 is the fact that there are two resurrections. Because he says in verse 5, he says at the end of verse 5, this is the first resurrection. So there's a resurrection that takes place before the final resurrection, which is going to be wrapped up in our message this morning. And so that's just important for you to distinguish this morning. But look in verse 6, he said, Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such the second death hath no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. That is what we call the millennial reign of Christ. And when the thousand years are expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison and shall go out to deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, the number of whom is as the sand of the sea. That's a lot of people. And they went up on the breadth of the earth and compassed the camp of the saints round about and the beloved city. There's no doubt about what that city is. That's not New York. It, it's not uh, Hong Kong. That's Jerusalem. That's the beloved city. And fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. Don't you like how the Lord handles things? Verse 10, And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. Don't you reckon he deserves it? I think you could say amen to that. If you can't say amen about the devil deserving to be tormented forever, something's wrong with you thinking. Yes, sir. Now, look, this is what I want to preach about this morning. Verse 11, And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it from whose face the earth and heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the, and the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged every man according to their works, and death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your goodness to us this morning, Lord. And it is a little bit subdued in here this morning. And God, I pray, I, Lord, I know some folks, God, have had a rough week this week, but God, I pray you'd help us, God, to concentrate our hearts and minds on the Word of God this morning. And Lord, I have the utmost confidence in your Word. And Lord, I know that, God, you chose to manifest your Word according to Titus chapter 1 through preaching. And God, I pray that, Lord, you'd have your will and way this morning. I pray that you'd give me the liberty, Lord, that I need to say everything that needs to be said. Lord, I have a lot of notes this morning, and sometimes, God, those things serve to constrict instead of help. And so, God, I pray that you'd help me this morning to say what needs to be said to get the point across, God, a weighty subject this morning. Uh, Lord, not a very trivial subject, God. Lord, uh, eternal souls hang in the balance and God, I just pray, Lord, I pray that you'd have your will and way this morning. God, if somebody's here that's lost this morning, I pray you'd use your, your word, God, Lord, to wake them up, God, and help them to see the sobriety of the things that we're dealing with, God, in these eternal matters, Lord. And we'll thank you for it. Thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, dying at Calvary for us. And God, I pray, Lord, if there's somebody not here that's trusting, Lord, pray you make that plain this morning. We'll thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Revelation chapter 20 contains the account of what we call the great white throne of judgment. And the great white throne of judgment is the final judgment that is going to take place 
before eternity begins. In Revelation chapter 21 and 22, what you find is eternity commencing. Uh, talks about New Jerusalem coming down as a bride adorned for a husband out of heaven from God. And you know, you know how that in, according to the scriptures, God, at least I take it for granted that you know, that according to the scriptures, God made man, right? Put him in a garden and God gave him one single commandment, did he not? And man did exactly what you do. He didn't keep it. He disobeyed. And from that point forward, all of creation has felt the effects of this rebellious creature called man. The Bible says in the book of Romans chapter 8 that all creation groans and travails together until now waiting for the manifestation of the sons of God. That is when the Lord comes back. And one of the things that you need to understand before you get into eternity, which is Revelation chapter 21, before God's going to bring in a new paradise. That's where God put man when he started. He put him in paradise and man messed it up. Man messed it up. Uh, you, can't, you can't blame your circumstances on why you don't do right. People say, well, I, if I just had better circumstances, I would do right. Not according to the scripture, because there was a man who had perfect circumstances, and he messed it up. So you can't say that. Before God's going to bring in a new paradise, however, uh, before a new heaven and a new earth can show up, you find that right in verse 1 of chapter 21. He said, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Uh, before God can dwell among men as he did in the Garden of Eden, before God can wipe all tears away, there has to be a judgment. Just let you think about that for a second. There has to be a judgment. God has to execute righteous judgment on man's sinful condition. There has to be. And what the world wants, what man in general wants, I'm not talking about any one specific person. Of course, there are many of them that want this. But what man as a whole wants is he wants paradise without God uh, bringing up his sin before his face and saying that's wrong. Yes, sir. That is why, that is why carnal people hate preaching. Yes, sir. Carnal people love music. They love counseling. They love anything except preaching. You say, why? Because the responsibility of preaching is to do exactly what God does, and that is to take your sin and put it in front of you and say, God hates that. And listen, you can reject the preaching from one of God's mailmen, so to speak, but there will come a day to where God is going to bring it up before you personally. God is going to make you consider what has taken place with your life and what you've done in regards to your sins, how you have endeavored to get rid of your sinful condition. Before all of these things can come to pass, before a new heaven and a new earth can come to pass, there has to be a judgment. Before God is going to bring in eternal bliss and happiness that all men long for, God is going to bring up the final judgment. In 2 Peter, let me look over in 2 Peter. You're welcome to turn with me this morning if you like. If not, I'll just read it to you. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 13, the Bible says, uh, verse 12, I should say, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 12, he said, Looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat, 
Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. That new heavens and that new earth that you read about in Revelation chapter 20, uh, 2 Peter chapter 3 says that that is a place wherein dwelleth righteousness. Well, you can't have a place wherein dwells righteousness unless God deals with iniquity. You say, well, I just believe, I believe that God wants all men to go to a place of eternal bliss. Listen, listen to me. If God does not deal with the iniquity of men, if God does not deal with the sinful condition of man by a judgment before the new heavens and the new earth take place, the only thing that sinful creatures are going to do to a new heavens and a new earth is make it the absolute disaster that they've made this one. God, God is not, God is not going to let sinful people into a new heavens and a new earth. You say, I just feel like that's a little bit narrow-minded. Well, then that's God's narrow mind. I feel like that's a little bit exclusive. That is God's exclusiveness. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Look, at, look with me in Isaiah chapter 26. Isaiah chapter 26 this morning. Isaiah chapter 26. <clears throat> I understand it at first glance uh, when, you, when you first hear things like this. I understand that uh, folks, there, there are a lot of folks that have never heard any of this kind of information presented, especially in this way. And I understand that that kind of stuff might be off-putting to you. But that is the God that we deal with. We deal with a God who is very gracious now. He's gracious today. But there's going to come a day to where if you haven't accepted his grace, if you haven't accepted his mercy, the only thing that you're going to run into is, is his unbridled justice, his unbridled righteousness. Uh, listen, if God took men and said, if you'll trust me, I will save your soul, I will wash your sins away, I will wash your sins away, and then on top of that, when I return to get you at the rapture of the church, I'm going to change your vile body. This is what he told the church. He said, I'll change your vile body to be made like unto my glorious body. No trace of sin. No trace of iniquity. God is going to take those people and allow them to get into the new heavens and the new earth. Not because they're good people, but because they trusted Christ as their Savior. That's why they get in. Now listen, if you reject Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, whoever you may be, you don't have access to those promises that God is going to remove from you all traces of sin and make your body like unto his glorious body when he comes for the church. You don't have access to those promises. So you're still going to be a sinner when the Lord comes. You're still going to be a big problem, so to speak, when the Lord comes. Well, if the Lord lets you in, you know what it's going to do? It's going to ruin it for the rest of us. You know why it gets real quiet there? Because morning, noon, and night, you have had shoved down your throat by CNN and MSNBC and Fox News that everybody is equal. And listen, we're all equally sinners, but some of us have trusted Christ. And when that took place, God, God by his marvelous grace, washed our sins away. And for the life of me, if you say you're saved, I don't understand how you couldn't get a little happy about that. I don't understand why you sit in church 
with a just just kind of an unentreated attitude. Man, I just don't I don't really want to be here. Why? I, I hate that for you. But look here in Isaiah chapter 26. Don't want to preach that sermon. Look in Isaiah 26 verse 10. The Bible said, "Let favor be showed to the wicked, yet will he not learn righteousness." You be nice to wicked people. You show favor to wicked people. They're not going to learn how to do right. That's what it says. In the land of uprightness will he deal unjustly and will not behold the majesty of the Lord. If God lets sinners into heaven, they're not going to get right with God in heaven. They're going to make heaven hell. And so God says, no, you can't come in. Yes, sir. And so what you're dealing with in Revelation chapter 20 is God's means of dealing with those that have rejected his son, Jesus Christ, before he brings in the new heaven and the, and the new earth. And let me just tell you, whether you believe it or not, it makes sense that God would do that. It's sensible. However you feel about it, it's sensible. It's right. It's right. Let me point out a couple of things to you this morning about this judgment. Here in verse 11, the Bible said in Revelation 20, verse 11, he said, And I saw a great white throne. Let me say that this place, this, this judgment, this place of judgment is a throne. Uh, this place of judgment is not the magistrate's office. This, this is not a place that's been delegated to somebody else. Uh, this place of judgment is not the circuit court. This place of judgment is not the Supreme Court. There is no system of appeals in Revelation chapter 20. When you go to the great white throne of judgment, if you go... And if you've rejected Christ, you will go, whether you want to go or not. You will stand before God. And when you go, there is no place that you can appeal to that's higher than this judgment. You will go, and that'll be as high as you can get. You're going to have your opportunity to pour out all of your alibis and all of your excuses. You're going to have the opportunity to look the one that died for you straight in the face and say whatever reason it is that you trusted your church or trusted your mother or trusted your preacher or your pastor or your priest or whoever it is, whatever it is, whatever good works you're trusting, you're going to have the opportunity to look him square in the eyes and tell him why you thought it was a good idea to reject him and trust in your own unrighteousness. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. No system of appeals. This is the final judgment that there's ever going to be. No second chances. And let me say this. The Bible says, and I saw a great white throne. Now, I believe exactly what the verse says. I believe that it is exactly what it is. It's a great white throne. He's talking about the color. But I also believe that that white speaks of something. It speaks of the purity of that throne. That's a pure place. It's a pure place. Psalm chapter 9, verse 4 said, uh, David, talking about the Lord, he said, Thou hast maintained my right and my cause. Thou sattest in the throne, judging right. Psalm 47, verse 8, God reigneth over the heathen. God sitteth upon the throne of his holiness. It's a holy place. Uh, Psalm 89, verse 14, Justice and judgment are the habitation of thy throne. That's what you're looking at with the great white throne of judgment. It's a pure seat. It's the highest seat that will ever have any, anybody step before it. Before this seat, before this great, great white throne, steps every king who has ever existed in this old world. Every prince that has ever had any amount of power, they're all going to step before this throne. Every judge that has ever ju judged righteously or unrighteously is going to step before this throne. 
every pauper, every bond servant, every slave, black or white, Chinese, Japanese, German, African, South American, all will step before this throne. Listen to me. Before this throne, not only every individual, every man, woman, boy and girl that's ever lived, but angels will step before this throne. You say, where do you get that from? Jude verse 6. There's only one, one chapter in the book of Jude. But Jude verse 6, the Bible says, And the angels, which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation, he hath reserved in everlasting chains under darkness unto the judgment of the great day. This day that takes place in Revelation chapter 20, this great judgment morn that takes place, no one will escape. No one will hide. There will be no place to go. Heaven and earth has fled away from the face of him that sits on this throne. No place to hide. There will be no place to go. Men will stand before him. Angels will stand before him. Principalities and powers will be judged. Revelation chapter 20. It's a great throne. It's a great white throne. Uh, Proverbs chapter 20 verse 8 says, A king that sitteth in the throne of judgment scattereth away all evil with his eyes. And then in the very next verse in Proverbs 20, he says, Who can say, I have made my heart clean. I'm pure from my sin." You know, what, you know what a throne is? You know what, this, what a throne is? It's a place of inquisition. It's a place of inquiry. It's a place where a king sits and asks questions. Yes, sir. Esther chapter 2, over in Esther chapter 2, you know the story of Esther, I think. If you've been to Sunday school, you've probably heard that story taught. And in Esther chapter 2, Mordecai, who is uh, Esther's cousin, he sits in the king's gate and heard tell of two of the king's chamberlains that were wroth with the king. They was mad at him. And so they endeavored, they made a plot, they made a plan to kill him. Men never change. Things go on the way that they've always gone. They made this plot to kill the king. And so Mordecai, uh, sitting in the king's gate, he told Queen Esther. And Queen Esther told the king, King Ahasuerus, and certified it in, Morde in Mordecai's name. And you know what Esther chapter 2 says? The king made inquisition. And he found out, and he had those two men hung. And you know what he did? He wrote it in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings. In Revelation chapter 20, you know what takes place when this judgment goes on? The books are opened. You say, what books are those? Those are the books of the chronicles of the great king. Somebody comes to the Lord while he sits upon his throne in heaven right now as we speak, and they, and they say, hey, so-and-so's done this. So-and-so's done this. This has taken place down there. And God says, write it in the book. We'll deal with it. Write it in the book. Write it in the book. God, God opens the books. The king made the inquisition, and it was found out. In Revelation chapter 20, you have a king sitting in a throne of judgment, just like it says in Proverbs chapter 20. He's scattering away all evil with his eyes. You say, how? By inquisition. One of the scariest things that you read in the, in the Bible, there's a lot of scary things that you read in the Bible, but one of the scariest things to me that I read in the Bible is the book of Job. You say, you say, why is that scary to you? Because of what the devil did to Job? No. How God dealt with Job regarding his attitude. God 
let the devil abuse Job and tear Job's life apart. And the insistence that Job had was, I haven't done anything wrong. Why is God allowing this to happen to me? And you know what? Listen to me. God never answered his question. The reason that God allowed it to happen was because God and the devil had this conversation and God had a point that he was trying to prove to the, to the devil and Job never found out about that conversation. These three friends, they come and they accuse Job to his face and they say, the reason that you're suffering is because you're unrighteous. That was not the case. God himself said Job was a righteous man, one that feared God and eschewed evil. Well, why was God letting it happen? Because God was, had, had some kind of dealings with the devil about the life of Job. He's trying to prove a point. Job never found out. And the way that God dealt with Job in his attitude towards the end of the book of Job was he said this. He said, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Declare if you have understanding. You know what's going to happen at the great white throne of judgment? Cocky people are going to appear before God. Confident people are going to appear before God. And instead of them asking God questions, God is going to begin to ask them questions. You're sitting in here and you've never trusted Christ because you know it all. Because you know better than God. You know how to get to heaven outside of something that God wrote in his word. God is going to have a series of questions for you. It's a fearful day. It's a fearful day. The Bible says, Proverbs chapter 15, verse 3, the Bible says, The eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. God's watching. God's going to bring it up at the great white throne of judgment. Romans chapter 2, verse 12 says, For as many as have sinned without the law shall also perish without the law. And as many as have sinned in the law shall be judged by the law. And then in verse 16 he says, In the day, in the day when God shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. Listen, those things that you've hidden, those things that you've covered up and said nobody's ever going to find out about it, God is going to make inquisition. There's a verse in the book of Psalms that says when, when God makes inquisition for blood, do you realize, listen to me, do you realize that the blood that remains on the hands of every doctor, of every unborn baby, God is going to bring every single one of those things up. Bodies that have been thrown in the Okefenokee swamp and people thought that they got away with it because the FBI didn't find out and the Folkestone police didn't find out and Charlton County Sheriff's Office didn't find out, God is going to uncover it all. Every adulterous affair that men thought that they got away with, every flirtatious mindset that a woman had down at the workplace, God's going to bring it all out. You know what scares some of you the most about that thought? What scares some of you the most about that thought is, oh, my soul, who's going to be looking? Listen to me. It's not who's going to be looking. You're going to be answering for that stuff before God, before your maker, the one that made you to bring glory and honor to him. Listen, the least of your worries is who else is going to be watching. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Psalm 44, verse 20, the Bible said, If we have forgotten the name of our God or stretched out our hands to a strange God, shall not God search this out? For he knoweth the secrets of the heart. God knows. It should horrify you 
the fact that God knows, and that is the one that's going to judge you. <clears throat> In our court system, one of the great advantages that a criminal has is that the man sitting behind the bench doesn't know what really took place. It's the advantage as far as from the criminal's perspective. It's the advantage that he has. That man sitting behind the bench, that jury of my own peers sitting over there and listening to all of this stuff go on, they don't really know what takes place. They have to examine the evidence. They have to listen to everything. But listen, when you stand before this judge in Revelation chapter 20, everything that you say that's a lie, he knows. You can provide whatever statements you want to provide. You can try to commit it to writing. God has his own records. Yes, sir, it's a, it's a terrible day. The Bible says, verse 11, it says, And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, him that sat on it. Let me say a word about this. That seat is the highest seat of judgment that there ever has been and ever will be. This seat of judgment is the judgment before which all men will come regardless of station or societal class. And it's, before, it's the seat before which the fallen angels are going to come. And let me say this, not anybody can sit in that seat. You say, who sits in that seat? Somebody that's worthy of sitting in that seat. The man, the individual that sits in that seat is somebody that is not like me. He's not like you. You know, I can pat, if I was a judge, I could pass judgment on you for something that you did wrong. And our society demands that. I'm not talking about American society. I'm talking about a, a, a society of law and order. It demands that we execute judgment. If you want to have order, if you want to have things put in place, it demands that we execute judgment on iniquity, on things that are not right. When you don't do that, your society falls apart. But you know what it is, really, honestly considered? It's one sinner passing judgment and condemnation on another. When you stand before this one, when you stand before this judge, you'll be looking the one in the eyes who knew no sin. You'll be looking the one in the eyes who, according to the book of Hebrews, was tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. You will not be able to look at him and say, you don't know what it's like to be me. God said, yes, I do. You don't know what it's like to have a pretty woman walk down the street with revealing clothes and have to control your heart and God, God will look at you and say, yes, I do. You don't know what it's like to want to kill somebody and have to restrain yourself. Yes, I do. Listen, there'll be none of this stuff of you looking at the one that sits on this throne saying, what right do you have to judge me? Listen, not only, listen to me, not only does he have the right by the fact that he made you, he has the right by the fact that he became one of you in all points tempted like as you are, and yet he didn't mess up in the least. He got every right. He, earned, he had the right by nature, and then he came to this earth and was one of us and earned the right on top of it by having it by nature. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Not anybody can sit in that seat, only somebody who's worthy. Yes, sir. It'll be very clear who he is on that day. That day, listen, that day the Bible says right here, it says, from whose face the earth and heaven fled away and there was no place found for them. Listen, on that day, this one that sits on that throne, he's going to be revealed in such an unbridled glory 
that heaven and earth is going to look at him and say, there's no way that we can remain here. And they're going to run like little cowards. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. No way. No way of escape. Job chapter 15, verse 15, the Bible says, Behold, he putteth no trust in his saints. Yea, the heavens are not clean in his sight. How much more abominable and filthy is man which drinketh iniquity like water. The heavens are going to have to run away. They're unclean in his sight. What do you think? How do you think it's going to turn out for men? How do you think it's going to turn out for women that have rejected Jesus Christ as the payment for their sins? Uh, turning on uh, TV shows. Man, I can't even hardly say some of the TV shows. They, have, they had a TV show. I don't know if it's still on now. But they had a TV show on uh, a while back. I think it was on Amazon Prime back when I had an Amazon Prime subscription. I'm a little bit upset with Amazon. But anyways, uh, they had a TV show on there called Californication. Well, that really sounds like a TV show that I'd want to watch. You're going to stand before God and give an account for those things. Yes, sir. Verse 12, the Bible said, And I saw the dead, I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. Verse 13, And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged every man according to their works. Listen, everybody at the great white throne Everybody is going to stand there who went to a Christless grave. Having not trusted what Jesus Christ did for them at Calvary, having not trusted the blood of Jesus Christ to purge their conscience from dead works to serve the living God according to Hebrews chapter 9, they're going to stand before this judge. Men that have died in unbelief will be raised to go to their final judgment. Daniel chapter, two, verse two, Daniel chapter 12 verse 2 says, And many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. Uh, you turn with me to Job chapter 27. Let me show you something this morning. Job chapter 27. The Bible describes the death of a lost man. Did you know that? The Bible describes the dying process of a lost man. A lot of times this day and age, you don't really hear about how a lost man dies or how any men die because they're so doped up on morphine or some kind of painkiller to really keep them out of their mind. You say, well, why do they do that? Well, I believe, I don't know this, but I bet you that that started taking place when pharmaceutical uh, inventions started coming out and they could figure out that they could keep people numbed out of their mind as they passed from this world into the next. I have a book sitting back in my office that tells you stories of how men have died and gone from this world into the next. Men that have crossed over Jordan's chilly waters, if you will, having not trusted Christ. Men that have screamed and panicked and uttered things that were coming to get them, so to speak. And then I have the record of men that have died and gone from this world into the next that knew Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. Amen. Yes, sir. You think the things that you're looking at is real this morning. There's a life that's waiting you, much more real than this one. Not just if you're saved, if you're lost. Not just if you're lost, if you're saved. There's something that's waiting you on the other side. Job 27 describes the process of a man dying. Look in verse 19, Job 27, verse 19. The Bible says, The rich man shall lie down, but he shall not be gathered. He openeth his eyes, and he is not. Terrors take hold on him as waters. A tempest, that's water. 
a tempest, that's a stormy waters, a tempest stealeth him away in the night. The east wind carrieth him away, and he departeth, and as a storm hurleth him out of his place. He said a tempest stealeth him away in the night. You know what you do at night? You lay down in your bed and you close your eyes. And then before you know it, you have to wake up your eyes, you have to open your eyes because your alarm clock's going off at 3 o'clock in the morning. God have mercy on you fellas that have to get up that early. But you close your eyes, and then the next thing you know, you're waking up. You've got to get up. Well, the Bible says this rich man, he lies down, and when he closes his eyes, when the next time he opens his eyes, it's like there's a tempest that's coming through and carrying him, him away. It's like the east wind that's carrying him away. Listen, the moment at your death, listen, the moment at your death, according to the book of Ecclesiastes, you have no power over that dying process. There was only one that did, and that was Jesus Christ. You have no power over that dying process. And when your time comes, listen, if you're going to a Christless grace, if you have not trusted what Christ has done for you at Calvary, all of a sudden you're going to close your eyes. And the next time you open your eyes, you're going to feel this downward pull on your soul. And you're going to begin to fall down and fall down and fall down. And you're going to go past the first layer of dirt. And you're going to go past the second layer of the earth. And you're going to go all the way down to the heart of the earth. You say, where do you get that? The Bible said, hell from beneath thee is moved to meet thee at thy coming. Jonah, in Jonah chapter 1 or chapter 2, he said, the earth was about me with her bars forever. Jesus Christ, Matthew chapter 16, upon this rock I will build my church and the gates, the gates, the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. There's a prison down there. And when you die without Christ, listen, when you die without Christ, there's going to be a pull that's pulling you all the way down there. The vivid description that the Lord Jesus Christ himself gives is Luke chapter 16, when a rich man he has Lazarus laying outside by his gates. And the Bible says that Lazarus died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. And the rich man also died. And in hell, and in hell, he lift up his eyes, being in torments. Listen, that rich man in hell, according to Luke chapter 16, he could see, he could hear, he could taste. Why else would he ask for a drink of water? Yes, sir. All of the senses that a man has on this side of the earth, he'll have in hell. All of the senses that a man has on this side of Jordan, he'll have in heaven. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. You're not going to be changed into something that's unrecognizable. You're not just going to magically disappear. You're going somewhere. And listen, you're going to feel that downward pull. And it's going to take you all the way down there and you're going to stay. You know where the rich man is this morning? He's still in hell. He's still in hell crying out for one drop of water. Revelation chapter 20, on that great judgment morn, you know what's going to take place? The rich man's going to hear a voice. All of a sudden, there's going to be a pull that somehow grabs him and starts pulling him upward. The Bible says, verse 13 in Revelation 20, it says, And the sea gave up the dead which were in it. All those people that died without Christ on the Titanic... All of those people that died on the Edmund Fitzgerald up there in Michigan on one of those lakes, that they're all there. One day the sea's going to let loose of them. Got a hold of them, right? Going to let loose. One day, look at what it says. The sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. Hell's going to let loose its grip. 
and all of a sudden you're going to feel yourself, if you've died without Christ and you're burning in hell, you're going to feel this upward pull into the glorious presence of an almighty God. And you know, for those of us that have trusted Christ, that brings great joy. It, it brings great wonder in our hearts to think one day we're going to be in the presence of our eternal Savior. But for you, it's not going to bring any joy. It's going to be a moment of sheer horror. It's going to strike terror in your heart like you've never known before. Whatever it is that you're afraid of on this side of, on this side of the grave, you don't know terror like you're going to know it that day. Because listen, when you come out of the grave, when you come out of hell, when you come out of the sea, wherever it is that you're coming out of, you know that you're not coming out to have a second chance. You are coming out for Jesus Christ to explain to you the justice of where you've been for however long it's been that you were in hell. And you're going to have the justice explained to you of where you're going when it's all said and done. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. It's going to be very real to you. It's going to be real, very real to you. For the first time in a long time, you're going to be brought up out of a place of hellfire, a thick darkness of weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. Yes, sir. Not going to bring you any peace of mind. It's not going to bring you any ease to your soul. The anticipation of going out to judgment is going to strike horror and terror in your heart that you'll dream, you'll wish, you'll deem it more worthy. You'll deem it more worthy that you stay in hell for another thousand years. Yes, sir. But listen, just as, just as you had no control in the day of your death, you're going to have no control in going to that judgment. The same way the day that you died and you was carried down to hell, something had a downward pull on you, the same way that day you're going to be pulled up out of hell, and you're not going to have any control over that. Yes, sir. Verse 12, the Bible said, The books were opened. Verse 13, the Bible says, And they were judged every man according to their works. When that judgment begins, the all-seeing eye of an eternal God is going to go through the details of your life one by one. I'm talking about if you'd not trusted Christ, you're going to stand before that one, and he's going to go through, you, go through the details of your life one by one. Yes, sir. Listen, you'll never have gone through a more thorough examination than on that day. Yes, sir. You'll never have dealt with a more reasonable God on that day. You say, what do you mean by that? What I'm saying is, God is going. You're going to offer your alibis and you're going to offer your excuses on why you rejected Jesus Christ. And God is going to prove to you the justice of what he's getting ready to do all because you rejected Jesus Christ. The Bible says in Romans chapter 2, he said, Wherefore, whatsoever things the law saith, it saith to them that every mouth may be stopped. Listen, if we had the Ten Commandments posted up on the wall this morning, some of you would look to those very same commandments and say, that's why I'm going to heaven. And God said in Romans chapter 2, that's why you cannot go. Amen. And God's going to prove that to you. If you, don't, if you refuse to believe it now, if you refuse to believe it now, God's going to prove it to you at the great white throne of judgment. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Every time you dare open your mouth in an attempt to justify yourself, God's going to respond with righteousness. God's going to respond with truth. God is going to respond with his holy character. Yes, sir. And after all your excuses, God's going to respond. It's written. He's going to deal with you the same way that he deals with your spiritual father. It's written. I said it in my word. Listen, you living in America, listen, especially in the South, 
in what's called the Bible Belt, you will not be able to say, I did not know. Whether you want to believe it or not, one of the things I, I believe with all my heart, what's going to come to your mind is the fact that you were sitting in a little country church August 14th, about 12 o'clock, listening to some preacher tell you, it's coming. It's coming. You better get ready. No, I'll take my chances. No, I don't think. That, that religion stuff is not for me. Oh, I didn't know, Lord. What about August 14th, 2022? About 12 o'clock in the afternoon, you were sitting in a little Baptist church. Some scrawny little preacher was standing up telling you about this very day. Yes, sir. It's written. I didn't know. You could have known. Listen, we live in such a spoiled generation here in America, and I'm thankful for it. I love it. I love being spoiled. But there aren't too many people that can't read. There are some. I'm talking about in America. There are some, but there aren't, there aren't too many. You have access to so much information to help you learn how to read. You have access to so much preaching that could help you understand the Bible. Oh, I didn't know. Boy, I'd hate to be an American and say that at the great white throne of judgment. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. When you've exhausted all your reasons, God is going to pronounce your final judgment. Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. And if you don't know it now, on that day, you're going to realize that God never made that place for you. God made it to torment the devil and those that followed him. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. You know why you won't come to Christ? Because you've got to repent. You've got to change your mind. You've got to change your mind about the life that you're living. You're in love with the sinful life that you're living. You know why men won't repent? You know why men won't trust Christ? Because they're scared to death of what they're going to have to leave behind. Well, my mama and my daddy's going to disown me. What's Uncle Bob going to think? Or what's Aunt Susie going to think? Man, all these church people think I'm already saved. Man, what's so-and-so going to think? You're scared to death. Listen to me. Listen to me this morning. I wouldn't go to hell for nobody. I wouldn't go to hell for nobody. I wouldn't go to the great white throne of judgment because I was too proud to humble myself before anybody. Yes, sir. Not worth it. Listen, on that day when the Lord pronounces your final judgment, there's going to be a sense of hopelessness that comes over you like you ain't never known before. Knowing that you had the chance and knowing that there's no going back. It's going to be real that day. It's going to be real. Now let me say this and give you an invitation this morning. Revelation 20 is not where it ends. There is a Revelation 21. I think that's where you want to get to. There's a Revelation 22. I think that's where you want to get to. I believe that with all my heart. That's New Jerusalem. That's heaven as we call it. And I don't believe, I don't believe that you'd like for things to end in Revelation 20. Maybe you'd, you would, but that's a foolish decision. But I say this, I say this, Revelation 20 is not where it ends. Not everyone goes into that lake of fire. Yes, sir. You say, how do I get into Revelation chapter 21? It's simple. It's simple. You're going to have to find somebody that will stand in your place of judgment. 
Does that make sense? You're going to have to find somebody that's willing to take the judgment of God that's coming to you on that day, Revelation chapter 20. You're going to have to find somebody that's willing to take it. You're going to have to find somebody that's able to take your place of judgment. Let me tell you who the candidate is. For somebody in order to take your judgment, they have to have no sins of their own, else when they die, they're not paying for anybody's sins other than their own. So they can't have any sins of their own. And not only can they not have any sins of their own, but when they die, they have to be able to resurrect. Because if they died, then that's proof they were paying for their own sins. But if they resurrect, then that's proof that they were dying as a substitute for somebody else's. Does that ring any bells? Let me tell you who it is. It's Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ came to this old wicked world, lived 30 years, started his ministry. He's, he was rejected. He was despised of men. And they hung him up on a cross. But what those men didn't realize is that when they hung him on the cross, God used that very thing as a substitutionary death to pay for your transgressions. Look with me in Isaiah chapter 53. Let me tell you what the scripture says. Let me point you to the scriptures. Isaiah chapter 53. The Bible says in Isaiah 53, verse 3, it says, He is despised and rejected of men. He's a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. That's talking about Jesus Christ. Verse 4, Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. That verse says that when you look at Jesus Christ at Calvary, hanging on an old rugged cross, what it looks like is, man, that is a man who, is, who God is mad at. That's a man who God is upset with. And Paul the Apostle told you that very thing in the book of Galatians. You know what the Bible says in the book of Deuteronomy? It says, Cursed is he that hangeth on a tree. And the Bible says in Galatians, Paul pointed out in the book of Galatians, he said, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. Thou shalt, thou shalt not. You couldn't live up to those standards. James says you broke one, you broke them all. You couldn't live up to those standards. Jesus did. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. You say, what happened there at Calvary 2,000 years ago? Christ became a curse for you. Christ bore your punishment. Christ offered the payment, the atonement for transgressions that he did not commit. 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 18 says, For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. Let me tell you something in no uncertain terms this morning. There's no church that can bring you to God. There's no religion that can bring you to God. There's no preacher that can bring you to God. You say, who has to bring you to God? The Bible says, uh, let, me, let me read to you from the book of Job. Let me put it to you in these terms. Job chapter 9. Job chapter 9, verse 32. Job chapter 9, verse 32. Job talking about God sitting in heaven. He said, for he is not a man. Job 9, 32. For he is not a man 
as I am, that I should answer him and we should come together in judgment. That's what we're preaching about this morning. We're preaching about judgment. And you know that one that sits on that throne, he's a man like you were, but at Revelation 19, he's not called Jesus Christ anymore. He's called the Word of God. He's in a different manifestation than he was 2,000 years ago, a little baby lying in a manger. He's not your Savior now. He's going to be your judge. It is the Word of God. That's why he's going to say, it's written, it's written. And Job said, hey, he's not a man. He said, look at what he said. He said, verse 32, he said, and he said he's not a man as I am that I should answer him and we should come together in judgment. Job said, there's no way that I can get to him and offer some kind of answer to him because he's just not like I am. Look at what Job said. He said, verse 33, neither is there any daysman betwixt us that he might lay his hand upon us both. You know what you have in a courtroom? You have an advocate. You have a lawyer. You know what that lawyer's responsibility is? That lawyer's responsibility is to take the judge and to take the criminal and be that daysman, be that go-between. Job said, there's not one that exists between me and God. I got good news for you, though. 1 Timothy chapter 2, I believe it is. Paul the apostle said, for there is, he said, there is one God and one mediator between God and men. The man, Christ Jesus. You know what he said? He said, he said, Christ was reconciling the world to God when he was here. That's what his job was. You say, how did he do that right here? Calvary. He, he died your death. He died your punishment. And listen, when he died at Calvary, the Garden of Gethsemane, when he's in the Garden of Gethsemane, the Lord Jesus Christ is praying. And you know what he prayed? He said, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. You say, what's that cup? You see that cup referred to over and over again throughout the scripture. That's the cup of God's wrath. Jesus Christ knew what it was going to entail. Jesus Christ hanging on Calvary. You know what he said? He said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? You know what that is? That's the death of a sinner. Jesus Christ was not a sinner, but he's dying the sinner's death. God, why have you forsaken me? That's the death that a lost man prays as he's on his way to hell. Christ paid it. Christ, Christ went through it on your behalf. Listen, what I'm telling you this morning, you can afford to reject a church. You can afford to reject a preacher. You can afford to reject some form of religion, but you cannot afford to reject the payment that Jesus Christ made for you at Calvary. Yeah. If you reject that payment, you will have to pay for it yourself at the judgment seat of Christ. Yeah. And listen, God the Father is not going to be satisfied with your payment. That's why you'll have to suffer for eternity. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. The Bible says in Isaiah 53, we didn't look at it this morning, but Isaiah 53 said, it pleased the Lord to bruise him. And why would it please the Lord to bruise him? Because Jesus Christ was the only sufficient payment that could be made for the sins of sinful men like me and you. It pleased the Lord. You reject that payment of Jesus Christ, my soul, it's going to be bad. It's going to be bad. Every head bowed, every eye closed this morning. I'm going to give you an opportunity to respond. God dealt with your heart this morning. 
Listen, if you're not saved in here, why don't you just give me a second? Let me speak to you for just a minute. You don't have to look up this way. I'm not going to come to you and embarrass you, but let me just tell you. Let me just tell you. If you're not saved, if you've never trusted Christ, listen, church membership is not salvation. Trusting what a preacher or a priest has done for you is not salvation. Salvation is knowing that you're a sinner and knowing that when Christ died at Calvary, he died for your sins. And knowing that, it's calling on God and asking him to save you. I'm not going to ask you to come to an altar this morning, but if you want to be saved, I could just tell you this. Right there in your seat, all you got to do is bow your, your head and say, Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I know I'm on my way to hell. Lord, but I don't want to go, and I believe Jesus died for me. Lord, would you save me? And when you call on him, believe that he'll save you. Believe that he will. He said he would. Him that cometh to me, I'll in no wise cast out, he said. Matthew said, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, learn of me. I am meek and lowly of heart, you'll find rest to your souls. Jesus Christ can give you that peace. He can give you what it is that you're looking for this morning. But it's only to be found in the blood of Jesus Christ being applied to your soul. Father, we thank you for your goodness this morning. God, I pray you help these as they've come this morning. God, deal with these in their seat. And Lord, we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Do business with the Lord as he leads. Do business with God as he leads.